the Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal ran out comfortable winners over league leaders Liverpool on Sunday to cut the gap to just two points and open the door for Manchester City to make it two points themselves. There were also goal fests galore across the Premier League this weekend with six goals in Chelsea Wolves, four goals in Burnley Fulham, and a whopping eight goals in Newcastle Luton. We'll talk about that and plenty more on episode 440 of the Ghost Goal Podcast. Welcome everyone, I'm Alex, joined here by Javier. A very happy Javier, I might add. Let's not like pussyfoot around. Let's just get straight to it, Javier. We're obviously talking about Arsenal's win over Liverpool first. It has We're to back, be done. Alex. We're I'll, back. I'll, I hand the reins to you. Go ahead. You don't have to be so salty about it, Alex. Come Who's on. Salty. I'm literally. I mean, we know it's going to happen anyway. Uh, you know, I can. I can ask. How are you doing? Like, how's how's? Oh, how's grand. Yeah. Of course, you already know, Alex. Everything exactly. is well. Everything is 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 back in. Uh, no, uh, but just talk about the game here because it was such a good game. People were calling it. You know, in the build up to this game, you know, this was the game of the season because for Arsenal, you know, if we lose this. You know, the odds of a title race are very, very low for us. You know, if we win this, it pushes us back into the title race and, you know, kind of gives us a little bit of daylight between Aston Villa and Tottenham from that getting dragged into the the battle for top four, which it kind of, you know, with our form through the end of December and into January, looked like maybe that was going to be the case, you know. Um, But I have to say, Alex, I thought this was Arsenal's best performance under Mikel Arteta. This game gave me so much hope. Um, I thought that earlier in the season, the the Manchester City game was excellent as well. It was a great performance. I think it comes close to this one, um, but I think in that one there was it was a little bit more back and forth. I mean, this was the first time out. I'd say outside of the the I'd say like a ten minute spell at the beginning of the second half where Liverpool did have a, a couple of like half chances and you know we're we're kind of getting at us a little bit. Good. A good 80 to 85 minutes we dominated this Liverpool team. And a lot of that, almost all the credit has to go to Mikel Arteta because when I saw the starting lineups, you know, I was surprised. I was disappointed. You know, I didn't see Gabriel Jesus. I was disappointed that after he had, you know, a good two games in a row where he got, you know, a goal and an assist and an assist in the game before that, it looked like he was starting to get some form. We all we all know what happens with Gabriel Jesus and he got hurt again. So that's that was very very disappointing. So when I saw Kai Havertz at false nine, Jorginho in midfield, I thought, oh man, this this could be, you know, scary. But man, I was wrong. Um, Jorginho was the man of the match. I uh, haven't seen Jorginho play like that in an Arsenal shirt. It was his best performance by far. He was very, very calm, calm on the ball, even when constantly under pressure by Liverpool midfielders um, and attackers. He was always getting pressured. He was always able to distribute the ball quickly. But the thing that impressed me the most about Jorginho was his passes in between the lines. We haven't seen that from Arsenal this season. It's been the thing I've been crying about the most. Um, you know, it feels like Odegaard was the only one previously attempting passes in between the lines. Kai Havertz, for some reason or another, wasn't really doing that in that midfield position we were able to move Declan Rice out of the the holding midfield role and he was kind of allowed to just free roam and 
I mean, he's just a, a, an amazing player. Wherever you put him on the pitch, he's going to affect everywhere. And he was just sweeping up Liverpool, uh, you know, attacks left and right. Whenever Jorginho needed the support, Declan Rice was there for him. And I thought those two were were phenomenal together, worked so well in tandem um, and worked. I, I also have to give like some praise to Zinchenko. And at least in the first half, I thought, you know, he played defensively. He, he didn't play at all like uh, like he has been this season, which has been he's, you know, inverting going into midfield. He basically played as a left back in the first half. I know he's taken off at halftime and put on Kiwior. Again, I thought that was, you know, it, it was it was to keep the defensive solidity. I don't think Zinchenko's good enough or has enough fitness to play 90 minutes as like a full left back. So for Arteta to give Zinchenko, who played well in that first half, take him off at halftime. I don't know if it was an, uh, like an injury thing, but brought on Kiwior to keep that defensive like shape going. We kept this Liverpool team to one shot on target. Their goal came from a, a handball from Gabriel that flung the ball into the goal. It wasn't a shot from Luis Diaz. There was no reason for that ball to ever go in. It was literally the third minute of extra time, and all Saliba needed to do there was clear the ball. Instead, he tries to shield it. Raya, for some reason, overruns it. And then Diaz gets his foot on it, and Gabriel smacks it into the goal with his hand. I mean, typical Arsenal like goals that we've conceded this season. How many errors have we had this season leading to goals? I know we I know we led the league before this game. We had another one this game, so I'm sure we still lead the league in errors leading to goals. But we didn't let that like affect us that much. Again, that's, uh, Liverpool did come out well in the second half, but I was just so impressed in the second half with. You know, despite what had happened in the game, we came out, we kept with the game plan. You know, it, it, it was nothing like nothing we've done so far this season. Um, Kai Havertz was finding space, all sorts of areas. I know he missed the 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 one v one for the first goal, and then Saka ended up getting kind of, you know the lucky rebound there, uh, lucky or skilled, whatever you want to say, to be in the right place, but. I thought his runs, his hold-up play, he ended up getting Kanate both of the yellows. Um, he got Joe Gomez a yellow. You know, he was just a huge nuisance the entire game. Um, super impressed by Kai Havertz's his hold-up play, you know, his his distribution from that, from that false nine roll. And it really let Saka and Martinelli, I mean, constantly we were just pinging balls in behind with Gabriel, with Saliba, with Jorginho kind of doing what Liverpool does to other teams, which is the, the the like constant balls over the top, you know, 30, 40 yards into the wingers. We were doing that to Liverpool, and Liverpool didn't have an answer for it. Um, now, I have to be fair to Liverpool. I do think they very missed, very much missed Shabushlai, who's been a huge part of their midfield this season. He was, you know, not not in the in the lineup at all. Um, and I thought, you know, they started Ryan Gravenberch instead, and he just wasn't defensively what, Liverpool have had with, you know, either Endo or Shabushlai, you know, working so hard defensively. Um, and then I thought, you know, it, Liverpool obviously missed that cutting edge that Darwin had been giving them. And, you know, he came on in the second half, but he didn't look fit. So I think we got a little bit lucky with with a couple of injuries for Liverpool. Um, but overall, I thought just the way we neutralized their game plan. I mean, this is a team that had scored four goals in their last three games. So they'd scored 12 goals. I mean, they'd just been free scoring for the last couple of months. One, I think, eight out of their last nine games straight. Um, you know, this was a red-hot Liverpool team. And for us to outplay them and do what we did as a team, like, I, I, I can't be happier. I thought, uh, I'm just, I'm, I was kind of stunned with the performance. Can't be happier. Uh, don't mind the celebrations at all. Fuck all the celebration police. 
And uh, yeah, no, I'm just I'm not saying we're going to win the title. I just thought that that was a great that was something I hadn't seen, like a progression of the players that we had. Players like Jorginho and Kai Havertz were really able to to show up in a big game like this. That's what they were brought to the club for. They haven't really done it so far. So I was I was ecstatic that they were able to do that in a, such a big game and such a big occasion when we, we did have big players missing as well. You know, we didn't have Thomas Partey and Gabriel Jesus. Um, so, you know, it, it's not, yeah, like we, it, doesn't, we did. it doesn't stack up to who Liverpool were missing though. Cause I mean, the one, the one player, the one player you didn't mention that I, I feel like would have been especially important in a game like this would have been Mo Salah. I, I don't think it would have been him, him being available would have meant Liverpool definitely win the game, but there have been so many instances in, in Salah's career at Liverpool where you know they have big games away from home that they're not playing well in and he just pops up and scores a goal or sets someone else up and grabs a point for them out of nothing and well they haven't missed him since he's been gone to the African I, Cup of Nations I agree. They, I was, they've won every game and they've been just about to say, scoring four first, or five goals every game so. it's the first league game that they've lost uh, this season since that uh, that loss to Spurs back in match week 7 this is match week 23 so that's a long unbeaten run for Liverpool. Yeah, they've lost, I think, like a game in the Europa League like group stage or something, but they've won all their Carabao Cup games to get to the final that'll happen at the end of the month. They've won all their FA Cup games, including one at Anfield in January. Not Anfield, at the Emirates uh, in January. Uh, so I was picking them to win this game, and um, it, it appears the sort of the good vibes came to an end and it wasn't going to last forever. And with that amount of injuries, like Shabashlai, like you mentioned, Nunez, as frustrating as he can be for Liverpool fans, still still is a very active player and makes things happen. Uh, and then Andy Robertson, still not starting yet, though he was fit enough to come off the bench. It's actually a little bit surprising, like given hindsight, 2020, that they didn't lo- they didn't lose by more we just when you look at like the well, I was the about to say the three one like the three one completely flattered them because this yeah. game we uh you know Alex there were some statistics coming out of this game which you know I do love I do love my statistics uh this was the most expected goals it was like 3.64 the most expected goals Liverpool have conceded in a Premier League game in the Premier League era uh or since they started you know recording those that statistic uh so that was Number one, very impressive. Number two, they were the best defensive team in the league. We scored three goals on them. Could have been four or five uh, after this game. They're not the best defensive team anymore. Arsenal are. Um, And again, keeping a team that had also has the most goals in the league and has been banging in the goals to one shot on target. And they didn't even actually score the goal. It was us that scored it. So... Uh, all of those things are, I think, are very, very impressive. And finally, Alex, I, I kind of think the Emirates is a fortress now. Like, I think that's one thing that I know that we lost to West Ham there. But outside of that loss, that was the only time we've lost the season. And both uh, Arsenal and Liverpool have gotten 29 points at home this season. So we're just as good as Liverpool. Villa have only had 28 points. So we've gotten more points at home than Aston Villa this season. So, you know, for as good as, as people talk about Fortress, you know, uh, Villa and Liverpool and, and Newcastle and, and Manchester City, you know, Arsenal now have that level of of, of home form or of home advantage as well, I think. You know, I don't think there is a fortress in the Premier League anymore. Like the last, the last fortresses of in terms of home form, you have to point to Liverpool's run up until uh, what was it? They they lost like five or six games in a row during the the pandemic at Anfield. But before that, they you know hadn't they hadn't lost in years. 
uh, city. I can't give you a time spend, but I'm sure the Etihad, they've had a long run of games where they, they haven't uh, lost there under Pep Guardiola. Uh, I don't think there's been a fortress in the Premier League, like, like the ones we, we used to know. You know, it used to be like you couldn't go to Old Trafford during Sir Alex and expect to win because you knew the refs would be on their side. You couldn't go to Chelsea from 2004 to 2012-ish and expect to win. Like, you know, Mourinho's whole record of not losing a home game, obviously at different clubs, but it started like at Porto and then went to Chelsea. Those were fortresses. Those were like games where it was just like, you don't even expect to get a point there if you're you're an away team or you you take a point like immediately. So I, I think the for- term fortress gets overused a little bit. And right now I don't think there is one in the league. But I mean, before we move on from this game, we, we do have to talk about some big news that's uh, come out since we last recorded, like two or three weeks ago, whenever it was. Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp's leaving Liverpool, end of the season. That's crazy, Alex. I'm not sad to see him go, like Pep. Like Pep said, you know, we, we're all happy to see his the, his backside because he's been hey, a, uh, do you a hear stalwart my in the Premier League era. You, I, I'll believe it when I see it. You're telling me that Jurgen Klopp isn't just going to use this to try and galvanize his team, get them a second league title in his reign, and then as soon as they win that league title, turn around and just say, you know what, it's not time yet. I'm not really done. Like, I'll believe it when I see a new manager appointed, standing on the sideline, taking training. Football's crazy. Like, yeah, this is a crazy take. Like, if I'm wrong... It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> I just, I just can't believe it. You know, it's he's been there. What, like nine years eight now? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Twenty fifteen, I think he came in. So yeah, coming up on nine. But I, yeah, I, I, unless there's some sort of news like announcing the next job, like for example, maybe the German national team after Nagelsmann finishes. No, I think he's going to take. I think he's going to take a couple of years off. He, well, he that's what he said after. That's what he said after Dortmund. Ever... He said he wanted to take so, take a break. Yeah. Like the 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 grind was too hard for him. And then four months later, he was the Liverpool manager, an even bigger job. So, yeah, again, I'll believe it when I see it. All right. Well, let's get to Chelsea. Let's get my uh, my misery out of the way. I mean, unless there's some other games that were uh, uh, bigger. Because, I mean, it's not just this this loss Chelsea suffered, uh, losing 4-2 at home to Wolves on Sunday morning, that uh, needs to be talked about. There's all sorts of, you know, thought pieces and opinion pieces about, like, what's, like, who's the real problem at Chelsea? Is it, like, Pochettino? Is it uh, Bowley? Is it the the directors of football, Paul Winstanley and uh, Lawrence Stewart? I think people just need to take a very hard, solid look at a lot of the senior players. I, I, I Obviously, I'm not happy with the new ownership as a Chelsea fan. I don't know a single Chelsea fan that's, you know, stands up for Todd Bowley and Badag Ekbali and Clear Lake, the, the company that technically owns Chelsea. But I just think a lot of people don't really focus on the uh, the guys that make it happen or in this case, not happen on the field. Yes, we, we sold off most of the senior players and replaced them with inexperienced talents who were in their either their late teens or early 20s. It's the youngest Chelsea team in my lifetime in terms of like average age in, in each game. But I think there are enough senior players that have been kept around and have been burdened with uh, with the, having to lead these young players that they're just not pulling their weight. And, you know, I, I don't like 
doing it for certain players, but you have to, you have to look at players like Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell, and then the one that I usually uh, default to is Raheem Sterling. Like all of those senior players, just have not been good enough. I know there's excuses for for players like Chilwell and and Silva that you can bring up, like Chilwell just returning from an injury, but he's been back like two or three weeks now. He should be ready to like play ninety minutes in a game. He's the co-captain or the the vice captain behind Reese James, so he gets the armband and is again burdened burdened with leadership. He's a Champions League winner. Thiago Silva, likewise, even more than uh, than that, he's he's won plenty more trophies than just the Champions League, but only that with Chelsea. The performances and the composure just have not been there from those senior players, and and I don't think firing someone like Pochettino is is going to fix it. I, I don't love what he's done with these players, and and. And Sunday was another example of just, I, I, I don't see how he can continue or how he thought he could continue with playing four at the back with Thiago Silva as one of those two players at the back. Maybe it's through injuries to other center backs. He felt like he didn't have enough, you know, bodies to play a three at the back. But you're starting to see like rumors coming out on on, on Twitter and, and Reddit this morning that like, oh, Pochettino is considering switching to a back three in order to, you know, solidify Chelsea's defense. You know, the, the tale is old as time. Switch to a back three, go more defensive and and pray for results to come. You should never be switching out of a back three if Thiago Silva is in, in your back line. He's, he's an excellent player, but he ha- he's a specialist. He's, he's a Jorginho of a center back. If you're playing that player in your defensive line, just like if you're playing Jorginho in your midfield, you need players around him who are going to work a little bit harder than him, help him defensively, give him an option for a basic pass, and then you can get the best out of Jorginho. Thiago Silva, likewise. He reads the game better than maybe any center back in the league other than Van Dyke at this point. Don't he you think don't, you could use a player like Jorginho? I feel like you guys shouldn't have sold him. Well, no, because he only he's, had he's someone who would he be, only had six months on his deal, and like he knew we weren't going to re-sign him. Like. And right. Even if we did, but okay, it, all right, Alex, we we need to talk about a few of your players here because you did you did signal out Ben Chilwell and Thiago Silva, and and I think it's easy to signal out the veterans because the other players are new and you can't really jump on them. I didn't even get but, to Sterling yet. Sterling is the by far the worst culprit. I just feel like I've done but that. Sterling too much. wasn't that. But Sterling, but I was Sterling, about to say, but was Sterling wasn't that bad. even that bad. And he has, no. that, he has were, been that. He has been. There were bad. literally five or six players who were far worse than Raheem Sterling in this game. Number one. The worst player on the pitch was Moises Caicedo. I thought he was horrific. I this I've never seen him play so bad in a Chelsea yeah, he, shirt. He had a real bad time. Yeah. I mean, I I he went he from was, playing in a beautiful ball for, for, for the, the the first goal, the Palmer goal, a beautiful ball, very well weighted for Palmer to score. I was t- in the middle of texting you about how 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 we haven't seen anything like that from Caicedo so far since he signed, and then he go ahead and gives it away, gets you know two v one, and gives it away for the second. He was responsible the, for goal. the first three goals basically for Chelsea, and he gave away two like like really dangerous free kicks before Pochettino just hauled him off the pitch. Um, I I thought he was horrific. Now I do think that he's suffering a little bit from the rest of the team not performing as well. But another player who was, I just think, off the pace, didn't look good, Enzo Fernandez. I, I don't know what happened with him because I think I've already talked about it a little bit, but I thought he was great to start the season, petered off, and then he's just stayed shit. Like, there's been, like, f- flashes here or there where he'll step forward in midfield, beat a player or something, and play a through ball, and he looks decent offensively. But you just walk right through him, through like, butter defensively. And the guy doesn't seem to have, you know, he looks like, 
uh, you know, like he has no clue what he's doing defensively in midfield, like a headless chicken cut off. So I, I, I thought him and Caicedo defensively were awful. It, it looked like neither one of them knew how to play like defensive midfielder. Like they were both to like trying to get forward and like join the attack and play with like Palmer and Sterling and stuff. But but they weren't at all. And Gallagher was just running across the pitch trying to clean up, you know, put out fires everywhere. So I, I, I don't think you like you can blame Gallagher. I, th- I think he was probably still one of your best players, if not your best player, just you know, overall still trying to show things, but yeah, man, I just, I, I was, I don't know what happened to the Chelsea team because it seemed like you guys were on a good run. You guys were playing fairly well. I maybe a little bit was like some of the results were, 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 were kind of, I mean, you guys, you guys didn't lose against Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, you beat Tottenham. Yeah. That was back in, that that was was a good run. That was like November. We just got December. That was December. That wasn't that long ago. It was that that run ended around the end of November, and then in early December we went to Everton. After that run, thinking like, okay, we've got something promising, and then we lost there. So, uh, Enzo is a tough one because what what you're saying is true about like his defensive performances. He's not been great, and it's confusing because the player that I was so excited for Chelsea to sign, who was playing for Benfica, for Argentina, obviously in the World Cup and 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 River before that, he was the defensive side of his game was one of the bonuses. He he was a, a an all action box to box type player who loved to get involved, like tracking back with with tackles and getting forward and playing diagonal balls into the box for his teammates. And we we've seen nothing like that bar maybe a few games this season and at the end of last season uh, to show that he, he is that kind of player. And, you know, I, by no means am I saying he's a bust. He, I am 100% committed to, like, Enzo figuring it out at Chelsea. I, I think while there's, like, a similar conundrum with the playing, like, three at the back versus four at the back for Pochettino right now, there's another conundrum in midfield where, obviously, the three best midfielders that we have are Enzo Fernandez. Moises Caicedo and Connor Gallagher. If you want to switch to a three at the back, you have you're probably going to have to switch to just two in midfield. And if you're playing two in midfield, then which one of the two, which one of the hundred million dollar midfielders are you dropping? Neither. Also, you're not dropping Connor Gallagher unless he's being sold, which does not seem out of the realm of possibility uh, coming up this summer. So it, it just feels like it's all going to end up to you know, basically what I, I think a lot of realistic Chelsea fans thought going into the season just an up and down season of some like runs of four or five games playing well and getting wins and just just as many runs of games four or five games maybe more where we get nothing I mean, and we, we did look have like a couple crap. positives this was in Kunku's first start of the season and he looked he didn't look great on his first start but I still think he's you know he's one that obviously we've seen his quality he's going to come through he's going to be a good Chelsea player if he can stay fit and Cole Palmer I mean Cole Palmer kept it up I thought he was he was pretty good still this game got the goal you know I thought he was he created chances for you guys um you know it, there were, and it's not like you guys were horrific this game. You created a lot of chances. It's just Raheem Sterling missed, Connor Gallagher missed. Uh, I think it was the know. defensive setup that screwed us. We were just getting absolutely yeah. spanked out on the wings. You and can't, and you I can't saw a statistic. Uh, Pochettino, Pochettino and Potter have now had the same amount of games. Um, and uh, Pochettino, I think, has gotten two more points than Potter, which is not good. And uh, you guys have actually scored... Uh, I think it says it was like 
14 or 13 more goals under Pochettino. So you're scoring way more, but you've also conceded like 18 more goals. So like, it was like, it was like you've scored way more, but you've conceded way more. So it's like Potter was just trying to keep you guys like defensively solid and try to like keep his base from there. That's why you guys weren't that exciting. And he ended up getting fired. I think, I think Pochettino's pretty much done the exact same job, but just has you guys attacking and conceding way more. And I mean, at least this is more exciting for Chelsea fans, kind of. I don't know. It's it's not more exciting. It's more exciting to neutrals, I would argue. But uh, yeah, not for but us. Yeah, and then I fans. saw Potter. Potter had a, a winning run, I think, of of five or six straight, and the most Pochettino's had is three. So it, it just tells you like yeah. Pochettino doesn't have the consistency, even that someone like Potter could even get with Chelsea. Pochettino but. also has a way younger team, like like Gray, uh, Graham Potter. It's probably an indictment of him, but he had, you know, he still had Jorginho for a I mean, period. He still, had, he still had Obama. He had Obama Yang. He had, uh, you know, Potter had Obama Yang. He had Havertz. He had Mount. He had all these players that you guys had got rid of. So it's not like he had an amazing team either that uh, that he was he working with. But it was, you know, a more experienced team that had, you know, won a Champions League. There were more of the Champions League winners in that squad last year than there were this year. There have been this year. So, so uh, what's what's going to be the move, Alex? I mean, you signed all these players to a long to long term deals. You, it doesn't feel like you're going to really be able to get rid of many of them. I mean, you can probably move on someone like Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell. Silva's and, contract's up at the end of the season, so he'll either retire or maybe move back to Brazil. Um, Raheem Sterling is the one I would want to. I think we need to focus on moving on for the amount of money he's making, just on in terms of like the the weekly wages getting that off the books is absolutely pivotal oh uh, i know who's lukaku will be back in the summer it's great yeah well hopefully uh hopefully the saudis what still if have lukaku comes back yeah what if lukaku comes back and he just starts banging in the goals for chelsea again you'll take him back alex no nah, never he he would be booed as soon as he walked out at the of stanford bridge what if he scored a hat trick in the first game Okay, great. We can sell him for more. We'll convince the team to come buy him if he he scores in the in the first game. Uh, yeah, let's move on. That's that's enough on uh, both of our clubs. I feel like we need to mention this Everton Tottenham game because Tottenham seem like they're sort of like back on track. We we haven't done many pods these last few weeks, and, and Tottenham have sort of turned their form around from the, the 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 borderline collapse they suffered at the end of 2023. And I know it, it's it stings to like be up twice at Goodison Park and then end up drawing like right at the end. They Brent weren't Waite good here, though. Them. They weren't good, but don't you they, think they that, probably should have lost think that, this like, game? This, this like run of good form for Richarlison. Vicario has three world class saves. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm turning this focus to Richarlison because we haven't had much like discussion about him. He's been like a man possessed the last month, basically since Son went away. He's been. Yeah, when I told you guys, form. when I told you guys to bring him in in fantasy, he scored eight goals since then. So, if you brought him in, did well. Um, but no, I, I agree with you, Alex. I mean, Richarlison, I think he's he's kind of benefiting from the absence of of Hyungmin Son, and you know, I think James Madison being back and and looked good with with Richarlison had two brilliant goals in this game. Um, looks to be on form, and. I think offensively, you know what you're getting now with Tottenham, but I think when you're going to places like Everton and giving them six or seven really good chances, you know, Everton could have scored four or five goals against uh, Tottenham in this game, which it's not, this isn't, this isn't, this team is never going to win the title. You know, you're never, this team, it looks fun. And I think you could get like Europa League, push for Champions League, 
But playing in this style and the way they have, you know, they obviously still need a few upgrades. I know they're missing their two, like, you know, starting midfielders that they've usually played with Madison. So we'll see what happens when they come back into the team. I think the team will look a little bit better defensively. Um, you know, getting back uh, Van de Ven, I think he's been huge for them. He is he is lightning quick for a center back. Um, he's he's up there with, you know, the fastest center backs in the league. Um, and, you know, I think it's been interesting as well watching Adogi. He's been kind of like a roaming midfielder for them. Uh, doesn't He's listed as a fullback, but, like, you never see him playing fullback. Like, you literally almost never see the guy, like, back in his box defending. So they're almost playing like six attackers like all of their play like the only like Hoiberg's defending Van, Van de Ven's defending and Romero's defending I was and about to Poro say the same and Udogi are just like attacking like I was they're like say the attackers. exact same thing the only the only positions that are like set and you know focused fully on uh stopping counterattacks are the two center backs and the two defensive midfielders that's it every other position bomb forward find the space wherever it is out wide through the middle read the situation and attack which you know it is it, it's fun in 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 theory and you know that's it's kind of like a, a pep guardiola like total football croifist way to play but it's very hard to execute and the fact that tottenham and Ange postacoglu has been able to get them to execute it even without some of their their best players now we've obviously mentioned son away for the asian cup with uh, south korea and their two midfielders, uh, Basuma and uh, Saar, it, it's very impressive that they've been able to plug and continue to play that that style of football. Yeah, they they've lost games like the 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 FA Cup game against Manchester City. They lost at home, not great, but it was it was a close oh, pa- game. Pape Saar was back for this game. Sorry. Yeah, but I'm I'm saying over this this last month or so that this period they've been able to to make do even without some of their best players. And yeah, they've drawn games like this and the the Manchester United game away. But a lot of people would would argue that they were probably the better team in the, the Manchester United game. So it's 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 impressive. It's frustratingly impressive, uh, regardless. And also, while I agree with you that they're probably like not going to win a league title playing this way, they're two points off Villa in fourth, and they're they're currently in fifth place now. You, Man United have turned their form around and look a whole lot. Yeah, better. we got to talk about they, them. They, Alex, they're because, in the, they're uh, in the hunt as well, but. Champions League is a very realistic possibility for Tottenham. I would almost say it's an expectation for Tottenham, given how no, Villa have fallen off. No, nah, it's not an expectation. I think they're going to be in a, in a slog with a bunch of teams until the end uh, for that last Champions League spot. But Alex, we got to talk about Manchester United because they had a huge win, three uh, 3-0 win against a, a, an on-form West Ham team who I think had only lost one out of their last eight games or something. And, you know, they were they were coming into this confident yeah, I think I think West Ham did have a couple of injuries, um, but West Ham they had drawn their their last three games before that. They drew at home to Bournemouth, at Sheffield United, which isn't good, and then at home against Brighton. And Brighton can't can't beat anyone away from home right now. So, yeah, they they were unbeaten for a long period leading up to that. But you know, it's not like they were you know stacking up the wins uh, of late. So. But I think for Manchester United, you you got to be excited if you're a United fan because it, it kind of feels like they figured it out. Yeah, um, you, you say that, but then the the news this morning of Lissandra Martinez getting injured and he's out for another month and a half at least, probably more likely two months. That brings you yeah, in, but that I mean, brings you into April they, with no they Martinez. Got, they've got uh, I know, but they've got uh, that that does suck for Martinez. Um, 
But I was going to say, I mean, the rise of, of Kobe Maino, we got to talk about his first Premier League goal. That was an unbelievable goal he had. Oh, yeah. um, At Wolves last week. Not in week. this game, but uh, last week. Uh, you know, he's been a revelation for them. I mean, he's so calm on the ball. His decision making does remind me a lot of, uh, I hate to say it, Alex, the, the name Paul Pogba, but, you know, he he's he's so silky and smooth the way he moves on the ball and the way he glides and but his but shots you, you he's better pogba, defensively than pogba and he works harder than private and yes uh you're right he's definitely better defensively than pogba but he also doesn't do any of like the needless no he doesn't do flashy stuff but he is flashy pogba would but he but he but he does have the skill to do he it he has the skill to do it but he uses it in a very practical way it's very functional it's not it's it's incredibly mature for his age, and I mean, for a player playing in midfield, his first first run of games for Manchester United, and he's been so this good. I mean, this is a real real gem that they found, um, and just a huge piece that's come out of nowhere that I never you know thought would be in their team. But outside of yes, the Martinez injury, Alex, I thought Harry Maguire being back. He looked like, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been one of the biggest Harry Maguire haters, Alex. You know, I don't just turn on players like, like I did with Xhaka and, you know, give them love after they've been complete shit for so long. Harry Maguire, great again in this game. I thought because there's after a coming back coming from injury, up. he's doing it only to make sure he keeps his Maybe. England place for one but, more tournament. I mean, ever, I mean, he's been he's been good pretty much this whole season since he got like brought back into this Manchester United team. And yeah, you you do lose the center Martinez, but you got Rafael Varane coming in. It's not not a bad replacement, Alex. I mean, Varane's only like thirty one. He's not that old. He's not like he's like used and done. So, it, for Varane being your third center back, Lindelof the fourth. I mean, they don't even they're not they didn't even Evans was didn't even make the bench in this one, and he's he was starting games for them earlier in the season and playing you know a month ago. So. I think this team's come a long way from what we've seen a month ago. Casemiro was starting again, looked good. He was the one who uh, won the ball back for um, Rasmus Hoyland's first goal. And Hoyland, Alex, I mean, United fans got to be loving this. He's scoring goals, assisting. He looks like he's confident again on the ball, you know, uh, taking players on, shooting. He looks like the player, the the 70 or 80 million, you know, euro player that they actually, you know, were, were hoping for that didn't look like he was there the first half of the season. But man, he's come. I think he's now scored in four straight Premier League games, which, again, like I, I you know, he, he's assisting as well. He's he's got good hold up play. They found their center forward. They found their center midfielder to play along with Casemiro. No more Eriksson or McTominay in midfield. They don't need those players anymore. I mean, it's, this United team has evolved, and you're seeing players like Marcus Rashford. You're seeing players like Bruno Fernandez starting to play more calm on the ball, starting to make better decisions. I mean, if you got Kobe Mainu as the 18 year old kid making the right decisions and all the right passes and, and shots and everything, and you're messing up as if as you're Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford. I mean, you're going to be losing your the place your place in your team real quick. So players like that seem to be taking a cue from players like Mino and actually getting their shit together. Um, and just I think it's it's all really coming together for Manchester United. Garnacho got a brace. He looks like his decision making has gotten better. He's starting to make passes when he's supposed to. He's starting to shoot when he's supposed to. You know, he's not just ignoring his teammates in, in good positions. It just seems like it's all coming together for United. And with with all the 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 media you know buzz around them with Anthony earlier in the season they didn't even need Anthony in this game you know they didn't need uh Greenwood they didn't you know Rashford played the whole game and was pretty good they didn't have to haul him off because he was complete shit i just i i think there's a lot 
to build on right now if you're Manchester United. We talked about it a couple, you know, a few weeks ago, saying it looked like they were maybe starting to figure it out. I, th- I think they kind of have, and I think this is a great base for United. This, this, like this, you know, Shaw, Dalit, Martinez, Maguire backline with with the midfield of Casemiro, Mainu, and Fernandez, and then Rashford, Garnacho, Hoyland up top. I think that's their best starting eleven right now, and I think they can add to that. They can start getting players off the bench. They can start, you know, a- adding depth in other positions. And I don't know. I mean, well, I think Dalit can now be upgraded. S- obviously, now that you say but- that, well, they're they're going to go to Aston Villa next weekend. And they're going to lose <laughs> in truly Manchester United fashion, just as you think, oh, they're starting to put it together. I think I think they're going to get a result at Villa. Like, I think that that's how good they are. And I think Villa are faltering a little bit right now. I know they just had a great game against Sheffield, but I, I don't count that. Um, so, OK, I, I they're, think they're going to get another gonna, nice little confidence get... boost when they beat the shit out of Chelsea on Wednesday in the FA Cup replay. Um, so I, I think it's a tough test for Manchester United. But, you know, if they pass it, then I, Villa will be in pretty big trouble for their their Champions League hopes, and United will be right back on track. So, before we go, we're uh, button up against the end of the pod here. Javier, give us your fantasy kitchen. The kitchen is back open, guys. I'm back in second place. You know, I've been uh, steadily above Alex now for a few weeks. You know, I've reclaimed my uh, my rightful place as uh, you know one of the the, the fantasy gods. But anyway, uh, d- besides that, I, I do have a few good picks for you guys this week. Um, it's been a while. Uh, I've already been talking about him. Rasmus Hoyland f- scored in four straight games, or no, four out of his last five games. Oh no, it is four straight games. He didn't play in the Nottingham Forest game. Also, two assists to go with that. Um, so double digit hauls, BPS, you know, bonus point hauls for for Hoyland, and. You know, United don't have the worst run of fixtures coming up. They've got, uh, you know, Villa away, Luton away, Fulham at home. That's three. He could score in any of those. Then they have City away, but then they have Everton, Sheffield, Brentford, Chelsea. So that's a really good run of probably six out of their next eight games where you could see Hoyland getting uh, getting some hauls. Definitely recommend him and Garnacho. Hoyland 6.9 mil forward, Garnacho 4.8 mil. Um I, I know that it looked like he was tempting after he got that brace against Villa and then he, he had a couple of blanks. But again, I thought his decision making was really good and, and he scored pretty difficult chances in this game. So I think if you're going to look at United players, those are two. And even Harry Maguire. I, you laughed at it earlier, Alex. You said no, but I'm going to go with it again. I'm going to stick to my guns. 4.2 mil for a defender. Harry Maguire. That's that that's a value town now. You know, United can get clean sheets with with their midfield back. I would I would think about him if you want a, a cheap four million midfielder or defender. Another one that um, I know Connor Bradley. We didn't really talk about him uh, because I think his his father passed away. Uh, yeah, something like that the over Saturday, over the, the day, last week, the day before the Arsenal game. And he Tough was for phenomenal for Liverpool in the last couple of games. That was another miss, I'm sure. You know, I think he had he had a goal and four assists in his last in his three Liverpool starts that he's had. So he has had an amazing start to his Liverpool career. He's only four point one mil. Once he comes back, um, you know, I think he's going to get game time, and he's one to look at if he's if he's consistently playing for Liverpool. Because I, you know, I think tr- they've been moving Trent more into midfield. So if Trent plays in midfield and Connor Bradley plays out right, you know, there could still be room for him. Um, two more, two more quick ones. I have Pedro Neto. He's back, uh, back amongst the goals and the assists. You know, he's one that I would look at. He was shredding the league. I think he had seven or eight assists before he got hurt and he's back at it again. So, you know, he's only 5.6 mil. I brought him into my team. I think he's one to, uh, one to watch. And of course we got to talk about the, uh, the other wolves asset that, uh, that we, you know, hat trick from, uh, Mateus Cunha. 
Cunha now has nine goals this season in the Premier League and six assists. He could definitely have double-digit goals and assists this season. Um, he looks like he's well on track for that. And, yeah, he's returned in, in four out of his last five games. So he's another one I would look at. 5.7 for a striker if you're trying to move, um, you know, striker funds and, and get Holland into your, back into your team because he is back. You know, you, you need a cheap striker. I, I'd look at Mateus Cunha um, or Adebayo, who's 4.9. He's another one who's got, I think, nine Premier League goals this season. He's been he's been banging in the goals as well. So a couple of uh, cheap good picks there for you guys to pick up. All right, Javier. Thanks for that. If you want to follow Javier for more Premier League and uh, fantasy-related content, you can follow him on Twitter slash X at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMOS92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. Enjoy the next round of Premier League games. And until next time, see you.